now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Well, we're finishing up our pathway to maturity this week, and I hope it's been as beneficial to you as it even has been for me as I've studied and prepared this. And, uh, you know, just over the last few weeks, and today being the fifth week of this series, we've just talked about um, things that, you know, the inspiration basically came from what we would teach kids naturally as they begin to grow and mature, things that you want them to learn. And there's certain growth marks that you kind of look at and you go, by this age, they ought to be able to do this. And, you know, we started out with identity, um, our identity in Christ. Uh, we talked about learning to feed ourselves and how to study the word of God. We talked about um, talking to God in prayer, what that looks like. Last week, we talked about walking in obedience. And today, we are cleaning up after ourselves. And wouldn't you love it if your spouse would learn this? Come on, somebody. That was a good spot. Why was all the amens really high pitched? I don't understand it. Um, but your kids, you know, and you're trying to teach them how to clean up after themselves. And you know, when they're really small and you say, let's go clean your room and you do most of the work, but you're trying to teach them how to do it. Um, when I was growing up, my mom, my mom could have been a drill sergeant in the military, especially when it came to cleaning the house, okay? But every once in a while, she got this wild hair that we should do deep cleaning in our bedrooms. And you know what that meant? It's gonna take up half your Saturday, okay? So she would make us clean out our drawers and refold things and make it neat, throw out things we weren't using any longer. She would like, you know, wash the sheets and we'd have to put the, the sheets on. And, you know, she just had this thing about her. And what we would learn to do is we would learn that you can take a messy drawer, but if you'll fold the top layer and just put them neatly on the top, she'll never know. And when you make your bed, you know, you may or may not get the fitted sheet on there right, and the next sheet, it doesn't even have to be straight, you know, we'll deal with that later. And then you lay the bedspread or the comforter right on top so that everything looks nice and you got the pillow there. Well, you know what my mom would do? She would come in and she'd pull the drawer out and she would take a peek under the top layer. And if it didn't look right, she'd pull the drawer out and dump it. Who said, yeah, that was child abuse. That was child abuse. I am marked for eternity that way. She would also come and take a peek underneath the bedspread or the comforter. And if the next sheet wasn't made right, you know what she'd do? She'd rip the whole thing off and throw it in the ground. Don't you amen that, Miss Joanne. That was so wrong on every level. To this day, I resent making my bed. Kids, make your bed. I used that as an illustration one time and said, I don't think it's worthwhile to make your bed every day. And I got an email about that one. Um, <laughs> But he was in jest. But that's the same thing I think we do a lot of time in our Christian lives. We make the top layer look good. You know, on the outside, everything looks all right. We show up to church, we put on our, you know, the, the facade, we kind of look good on the outside. Our Instagram, our Facebook, our social media feed looks really good. And everything, everybody thinks all of this is right. But underneath the surface, if you were to pull back the sheet or pull back the bedspread, or if you take the top layer off, man, underneath that, most of us, many of us, our lives are wrecked with hidden sin. And today, what I want us to do is we're just gonna pull back the top layer. We're gonna pull back the top layer and hopefully dive into this and talk about what it means for us to just clean up our lives, just clean up the sin that's in our life. And when it comes to sin, 
there's a lot of ideas floating around about what sin is. Wouldn't it be nice if I could define sin on my terms? Wouldn't it be nice that, that I would say that anything that offends me, anything that bothers me, anything that makes me uncomfortable is sin? And if Tom had some things that bothered him and made him uncomfortable and he could call it sin as well and everybody kind of has their own idea. But when you really get down to it and we say, what is sin? If you look at the word, and I should have done this in like all caps and had the I in the yellow, but I is in the center of sin. That's what sin is. It, it makes life all about me. It's all about my conveniences, what makes me comfortable, what kind of keeps my life all comfortable and, and right there like I want it. And if you bother me, if you offend me, if you make me uncomfortable, then that we would view as sin. But God is saying that the center of sin is myself. It's a selfish attitude. It's a selfish spirit. But ultimately, sin is rebellion against God and a transgression of his standard. When it comes to sin, there has to be a clear standard of right and wrong. And that's what scripture's for. Scripture teaches us what that, that clear standard and anything that is committed against God and against his standard of right and wrong, that in and of itself is sin. We, we sin against God. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, John wrote it out this way. He said, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And here it is, sin is lawlessness. It's just breaking, it's basically breaking God's commandments. It's breaking God's design for what he says right and wrong are for our lives. Jesus came along and he said that, you know, you can sum up all the law and all the prophets in one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you know, love one another. That is the summary of it all. And so sin is anything that breaks God's law. So if I um, do something to harm you, that's sin. That's sin. If I do something against God's law, that is sin. That's what John is saying. Sin is just any form of lawlessness, anything that goes against God's law. Charles Ryrie, a theologian, said this. Sin may be defined ultimately as anything in the creature, you and me, which does not express or which is contrary to the holy character of the creator. You see, God has a, God has a nature that is holy. God has a nature that is completely without any flaw, any blemish, any sin whatsoever. And when you're in the presence of God, there is this holiness about him. In the Old Testament, in, in the temple, there was a holy of holies that only a priest who had gone through the proper cleansing rituals, making sure that his life was right, he was the only one who could go into the holy of holies. And this was the presence in the very presence of God, and no one could go in there in an unworthy manner. And so sin would be anything that would be within us that does not express or that is contrary to that holy character of God, that holy character of God. And we all have those things, and we'll talk about a few of those today, but there's lots of things that we have in our lives that goes against that holy character of God. So let me just ask you this as we get it started off. Have you ever made a mess because of your sin? Have you ever done something that was selfish, that was certainly against God, but maybe it was even against your spouse or your children or a friend or a family member or others around you? Have you ever done something and it just really 
made a mess of your life. Maybe it's anger. You know, anger, maybe these, these sudden outbursts of anger. And you say something and seconds later you go, I really shouldn't have said that. And what you've done is you have sinned against God, but you've also sinned against someone else because you've, you've said something. You've had this, this angry outburst and you did something or you said something and you just can't really take back. Those words are out there. That action is unforgettable. How about addiction? We've seen many people, their lives are just, you know, they're, they're, they're messed up because of addiction. Whether it be secret addiction or public addiction, there are certain addictions that we have that affect the people around us. And those sins, those addictions, they affect people. I mean, you've got a marriage maybe that's, that's struggling because of your addiction. Maybe some relationships, maybe there's some trust issues that you're dealing with because of addictions. And so that's one of the things. Then there's selfishness, and selfishness plagues us all. That's when we just want our way no matter what. Immorality, we see that all the time. Marriages that are broken up because of immorality. Somebody doing something uh, you know, outside of the marriage that they shouldn't do, and it just wrecks the home. It wrecks children. It wrecks men and women. And, and, and it just is, it's such a sin against other people, and it makes a mess of our lives or just our hatred that we have toward other people, whether it's a group of people or a person. We have this, this hatred inside us that, that we have to deal with, and when we do that, our sin affects other people. No sin is in and of itself just toward us. It affects those around us. And so, what do we do about our sin? What do we do about it? Now, we can try to just keep making the bed, and we can try to just keep covering it up and making it look all right on every, around us, but every once in a while, that thing just makes its way to the surface, and it just hurts those again. So what do we do about it? What do we do about our sin? I've got three things today, and three things that I believe we should do about our sin, how we clean up our sin. Number one, believe. Believe. Now, what do I mean by that? In Romans chapter 10, verse nine, here's what Paul wrote. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is something that you and I must believe about ourselves and about God. The thing that we need to believe is that we need to believe that we have sinned against God's holy righteous standard that you and I, at our core, are sinners. That we were born with this nature bent toward sin, that left unchecked, we will do things that are sinful. And we must believe in our heart that God hates our sins so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to pay a penalty for the sins that we have committed. And we must Believe that. And he goes on, he says, for in the heart, for with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So what we have to begin with is we have to begin with the belief about sin that measures up and lines up with what God believes about sin, that your sin and my sin is an offense to God, and it has broken our fellowship with him. Just like all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve partook of that first fruit that God said not to. When they did that, they sinned against God's righteous standard of holiness and they disobeyed God. And when they did, his, their fellowship with God 
was broken and God needed to reconcile them back. And so we must believe that you and I, we have all sinned and we've fallen short of God's glory or God's standard of righteousness. That's where it begins. And in that believing, we have to believe that Christ came and he, uh, he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. That's how much God hates your sin and my sin. It was so much that he sent his only son to pay a penalty for something you did, something I did. Jesus paid that penalty on the cross. He took your sins and my sins upon him. So in believing, it means that we actually recognize God's righteous standard in our sinful nature. And all of us must come to this place. If we're going to clean up our sin, we must believe that our sin is wrong. And that it's not just okay for me because of my current situation. That sin is sin no matter what the context is. Because it's a sin against the holy, righteous nature of God. And he had to send his son to die for us. So that brings us to the next place. We must believe and then we repent. This idea of repentance. Here's what Jesus said about it. In Luke chapter 13, verse 5, Luke records the words of Jesus. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Several years ago, there was this um, evangelistic tool called faith. Um, I can't remember what they all stand for, but in that presentation <coughs> that you memorized, one of the things it said was that we must all repent. And this was the verse we used, that you would repent. And in the explanation, we would say that repentance is a change of direction. But that's, that's not really what repentance is. It's, it it kind of leads to that, but repentance is not necessarily any outward action as much as it is an inward position of the heart. Because repentance is basically coming to a place where we say repentance is a position of the heart that is closely connected to believing. So once I believe my condition in front of a holy God, then I have this change of heart toward sin. I can no longer have a clinging to, to this sin and be okay with it any longer. It's a change of attitude toward sin. It's not necessarily that I've, I've changed directions. It's that I've changed my view of sin. I have a different disposition toward sin where I once might have embraced it and been okay with it. When I have repentance, I, I reject it and I don't want it in my life. Although I may still struggle with it, it's still something that inside me I've repented of because I have a change of heart toward it. And I have regret over maybe the former ways that I lived, the former behaviors that I had, my former disposition towards him. That's in and of itself is what repentance really is. It really has nothing to do with your actions, but everything to do with your heart towards sin. And we see a lot of people that mix this one up with the next one that we're gonna talk about. And we get the cart ahead of the horse and we begin to confess things that we're really not repentant of. And it leads to a superficial confession. Because true repentance means that I despise sin almost as much as I humanly can, as much as God does. I despise it and I despise it in my life because I believe that I am a sinner 
who has sinned against the holy God and now sinned in such a way that God had to send his only son to die for me in my place to pay my penalty. And as a result, it causes me to go, God, that's a pretty heavy weight. So I hate sin also. And I have a new disposition against sin. So if there's any sin in my life, I want to get rid of it. That's what real repentance is, which leads us to, I believe, the next thing, and that is confession. Let me just tell you, I wrestled with this all week long. Because I've, you know, you've, you use these words interchangeably, and I just kind of got going on this. I was like, what is the difference between believing, repenting, and confessing? They're, they're just different ways in Scripture, and they're not, they're not synonymous terms all the time. They're closely related, but they're not the same. So as I was seeing this, I was seeing belief was the first thing. It's just a state of, of my heart where I, or a state of understanding that I've sinned against God. Hey, those of you who are, are trying to memorize, and we've been going through the Beatitudes, that very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, that's a person who believes they are a sinner, and they come to the place where they are broken in their spirit, and as a result, blessed are those who, um, boy, blessed are, the, what's, how's the verse go? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the... <laughs> I got it right in the first... What is it? I'm just testing y'all. I got this memorized, okay? But the next verse after that, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because when we understand and we believe our sin has broken our relationship with God and we come to that place, it causes us to mourn for our sin. And so as we work through this, the thing that we get to after our heart has changed, we naturally confess. And here's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, John is, and when, he, when you look at the context of this, I think that, I feel like he's writing to Christians. Now some would say this is a, a general position, but either way, we get to a place where we confess our sins so that we can have a relationship with God and so that we can maintain our relationship with God. It's an ongoing dealing with sin because believe it or not, I sinned yesterday. You can feel a pin or hear a pin drop right now. I'm surprised, you're surprised, right? That I sinned yesterday. I'm not gonna tell you how, What's that? I was driving. <laughs> you know me. <clears throat> I didn't go to the mall parking lot, that's for sure. Don't go down there anymore, I have to. But if we confess our sins, this is that place where I believe, I repent, I have a change of position, disposition towards sin. Now it causes me to say, God, listen, I've sinned against you. And here's how I've done it. And you start to lay those things out. I have, you know, had an outburst of anger. I have had this act of immorality. I have had this. And you just start going down the line and you start going, these are the sins that I have a disposition against now. And I'm confessing that. I'm acknowledging that to you because in and of itself, confession is this. It's to admit a punishable deed or sin. This is what you and I try to get our kids to do. When, they, when you catch them doing something wrong and you go, what did you just do? You already knew what they did. So what you're wanting them to do is you're wanting them to acknowledge out loud what they have done wrong. 
Another example from my mom. You've probably heard this, some of you, <clears throat> if you've been here a while, eventually a pastor runs out of illustrations, so we had to repeat them. So whenever I was in elementary school, <laughs> I had uh, gotten this racetrack for Christmas, and it was one of those cool ones that you can get back in 1977, you know, that you had the two triggers, they had cords on them back then, I know, that's yeah, weird. They had cords on them, and these two cars would race around the tracks, you know, and my dad had set it up on a pl piece of plywood and would slide it under my bed so that... I could just pull it out and play with it. Well, I had to go back to school after Christmas, right? And that thing is under my bed, set up, plugged in, ready to roll. I don't know what happened. It was a miracle, I guess, but I ended up with a bellyache at school. So I called my mom and, Mom, I'm sick. I, I don't feel good. So she said, okay, I'll come get you. And so she came and got me. My mom had a rule. If she picked you up from school early, you had to stay in your room, in your bed, until school got out. And you know what? I was okay with that. I was totally fine with it. And the reason I was okay with it is because the racetrack was under my bed. Lights were off, door was closed. I'm hanging over the edge of the bed, two triggers in my hand, cars racing around, and my mom opens the door and she said, what are you doing? And my response was, sinning against you and God. No, I said, nothing. I said, nothing. And she says, she flipped the light on, and you know what she did? I don't think I said this in the first service. She took me back to school. <laughs> she took me back to school. That was abuse. You gotta go in front of all your cla classmates. You know, it, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, but you know what? I never did it again. But I had to admit a punishable act or deed. I had to admit that, and that's what we want our kids to do because we want them to recognize how they have done something wrong or what they have done wrong. God's saying, you and I, when we confess, we are acknowledging something that we've done against him. We are saying the same thing as God. I should have added as God. We are saying the same thing as God. We are in agreement with God that yes, my sin is sin against you, and here's what it is, and we call it out. It literally means to pull your heart out and expose it to God. Saying, God, my heart is a wreck, and I acknowledge that, and I want my life, my sin to be clearly seen by you, and I am confessing with, to you that I agree with you about this sin. I agree with you, and that's what confession is. So confession, ultimately, is the true condition for fellowship with the Father. <clears throat> Before you're saved, you confess your sins, you confess that Jesus is Lord, you acknowledge, you agree with the same thing that God says that Jesus is Lord, your sins are bad, he's holy, Jesus was the sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement for our sin, we are in agreement with that, and as a result, we have this place of repentance and we have this fellowship with God. So what we believe scripture teaches very clearly is once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't lose that. You get that, you get into Christ, not by works, lest any man should boast. Paul was very clear in his writing. You, you get into Christ by faith, by grace through faith, and you stay in by grace through faith. But occasionally, probably more often than we would like to admit, we step out of line and we continue to sin. And when we do, we have to confess those sins to God in order to stay in good fellowship with him, which is what I believe John was talking about that in the verse that we looked at earlier. We'll look at it again in just a moment. Romans 10, 9, here's what Paul said. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus 
and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes, there's that belief, and then with the mouth, confession is made. So confession is just the outward spoken words of what you already feel and believe in your heart. Your words, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks in confession. And so confession is the outward expression of the inward belief. And that's what Paul was talking about. What happens is, as I said earlier, we flip these things or we'll skip the repentance part. We believe something, but we don't repent. We don't have a change of heart, but we just start confessing things. And what happens, we confess when we're caught. And we have a superficial confession because we just continue to do the same thing over and over and over. No longer does our sin repulse us any longer. And we just confess and we confess without repentance. And it's this ongoing cycle that we get into. So we can become accustomed to sinning and confessing, which can lead us to this continuous life and cycle of sin. And so what you and I need to do is we need to change our disposition towards sin and understand the depth and the ramifications of our sin. And when we confess, we're not doing that just because we were caught. We're doing that because we genuinely are sorry for what we have done and how we've sinned, not only to God, but against other people around us. So James 5.16, Paul, or James goes one step further with that. He says, it's very beneficial for us to confess our sins to God, but he says there's also a way to be healed by confessing your sin to one another. And here's what he says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And he's not necessarily talking about physical healing, although there's an aspect of that here. He's mainly talking about spiritual healing. That when you and I confess our sins, there is healing that takes place in us. There's a way that once our sin is exposed, light is a great disinfectant, right? it helps us become healed of our sin. And so when it's out there, we can be healed. The, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. So we need to confess our sins to God, certainly, but there are occasions that we need to confess our sins to one another. But there is no reason to confess your sin beyond the circle of that sin's Influence, And what I, mean, what I mean by that, if I sin against Tom, okay, if I do something uh, that, that is a sin against Tom in our relationship, Tom's the only person I'm obligated to confess that sin to, the only person I need to confess that sin to. I don't need to get up here on a Sunday morning and start laying out everything that I ever did to offend Tom and everything that I've done to sin against Tom. That, that's outside the circle of influence. But... If there's an outward sin, maybe a major moral failure or something like that, that sin, because it's public, needs to be confessed publicly. So you don't just go around, just because you're, you know, all right, I gotta confess my sin, you start telling everybody, every, hey, let me tell you what I thought about you last week. No, I don't think that's necessarily necessary either, because it wasn't a public sin. You need to confess that before God, that I have this ill feeling towards someone, and it's causing something in my heart that's not right. Confess it where it needs to be confessed. And let me tell you, it's not to me. If you need to talk about it, I'll talk about it. But, but, but we don't go to a priest, we don't go to a pastor and confess our sins necessarily. We can go straight to God through Jesus Christ, who is our great adversary. He's our advocate. 
He's our great high priest. He is the one who's doing intercession for us. So you can just go to God anytime. And so, but here's the thing that I love about God is when we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's amazing to me that this omniscient, I mean, all-knowing God, that when I confess my sins to him, that he forgets them. So if there's a sin you're hanging on to and you've been hanging on to it for five, 10, 15, 20 years, you've confessed it to God and you just can't seem to forgive yourself and you come to God and you go, God, listen, I just gotta rehash this. And you start laying it out for him, he's going, you're gonna have to refresh my memory because I remember your sins no more. He says that our sins have been cast as far away as the east is from the west. If we were to get in an airplane right now and head north, do you know at what point we would be heading south when you cross the North Pole? But let's just say we got, let's just say we got into a balloon. Maybe we started in China and we just go up and we start heading east and we get out there across Alaska and we get out across Montana and you get across all the way over the East Coast, and you get over Charlotte and you just keep going, you know? At what point do you get shot down? I mean, what point? <laughs> I'm kidding. At what point do you start heading west? Never. You never start heading west. And when Jesus said that your sins are remembered no more and they are cast as far away as the east is from the west, stop hanging on to them. Confess them, have that repentant heart, confess them, and then move on, move on. You have a hiccup along the way, if you sin again, go back to him and say, God, I did it again. Confess it and move on and live in victory over this. Over the next few weeks, to, uh, so as I was doing this message, I was thinking, I wanna follow up a little bit more with that. So we're gonna dive a little bit deeper. Over the next two weeks, we're going to, I'm gonna do a two-part series called Winning the Shame Game. What does it mean for us to win the shame game? Because I think we hang on to sin and we live in shame. And because we live in shame, we never experience victory. So we're gonna talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But today, as I summarize, sin destroys but God forgives and God restores if we believe, repent, and confess. Listen, God is a loving God and he wants to forgive you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. But you must repent and we must confess in order to have the relationship with him that he wants us to have. A couple of questions for you real quickly. Have you ever committed a sin that has affected others? And what are you going to do about it? What are you gonna do about sins that you've convict, uh, committed against other people? Number two, how has your sin separated you from God? And do you believe Jesus died for that sin? Are you at a place where you understand how heavy your sin is? And that it would bring you to a place of repentance. Have you gotten there? How do you really feel about your sin? Are you convicted 
Or are you just okay with it? Are your confessions superficial? They're just to get you out of the moment? Or are they really heartfelt that comes from a place of true repentance? And then finally, is there a sin that you need to confess to God? Or is there a sin that you need to openly confess to someone else? Just pull back the bedspread, pull back the comforter. What is underneath? And many times you and God are the only two who know it. So let me just encourage you, get right with him. Get right with him. Believe, repent, and confess so that you can be healed. Today, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never entered into that relationship, we would love to talk to you more about that. There'll be some pastors and deacons down here in the front. You can meet us back in the guest VIP room. Whatever makes you, uh, gives you the best opportunity to learn more about what it means for you to confess your sins to God and be his child. Let's all stand together. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are a loving, forgiving God. And that today, no matter what we've got, whether it's open sin or hidden sin. My prayer today is that your Holy Spirit would convict us in a way that brings about repentance that leads to confession, that ultimately heals the relationship between us and you and us and others. So I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will do the work that only he can do. In Jesus' name.